You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. Kids, uh, you, can, you can head to children's ministry. Miss Tammy will be waiting over at that entrance right there, along with some of our children's ministry volunteers. And uh, while they're doing that, we're going to go ahead and take up our offering today. So uh, we don't pass the buckets anymore because of COVID. And that's one change from COVID that I don't know that that'll ever return. I don't, I don't know that there's a need to pass the buckets because most of us give electronically now. So you can pull out your phone to give or your tablet or however it is that you give. If you've set up automatic giving, then you don't have to worry about it. All the ways are on the screen right there. If you are giving by check, we've got uh, secure donation boxes that we put up on the walls and so you can just drop those as you leave uh, the room today you can also put your connect cards in there that Ebony mentioned at the beginning you can put those in there as well so uh, we're in a study of the Sermon on the Mount it's called a different kind of kingdom and we're just studying the fifth chapter of the Sermon on the Mount and we'll move through the entire uh, sermon but uh, for the first five weeks of this study we're just looking on uh, chapter five And today's message is called Righteousness, and our text is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and we're just going to jump straight into it today. So if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and find Matthew 5, uh, 17 through 20, and I'll just read this. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard a lot of sermons on this text. You maybe not heard a lot of sermons, but you've heard this is one of the texts that preachers or pastors like to quote. And it's usually quoted in kind of a foreboding sense. I mean, usually the part we focus on is that not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. Like, you better obey every single word in this book right here. That's what Jesus is saying. And so the point of the sermon is to kind of I don't know, motivate in obedience or, you know, to, to talk about how we got to, you know, we got to obey every single letter in here. Or the point of the sermon is to kind of talk about like Old Testament, New Testament. Like, like we usually go there, like, you know, the Old Testament still matters because Jesus said it right here and all that. I actually want to focus in on verse 20. And verse 20 has been used in that exact same way as well. But I think verse 20, the last verse in this section, is the most important verse because I think it's the thesis of all of chapter 5. Everything he says after, and he goes next he goes into all this like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And he starts quoting law, talking about the letter of the law, and then talks about the spirit of the law. I think verse 20 sets up the, the entire rest of the teaching, at least that first half of the teaching. So we're going to focus in on verse 20. But in order to do that, we've got to define some terms. So let's walk through a few terms here to understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, the first one I want to define is not in verse 20, but it's what he said in verse 17. It's the law and the prophets. What is the law and the prophets? The law 
is another way of referring to the, the first five books of the Old Testament. So the, the Torah or the Pentateuch, first, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which contain the law of Moses. So when he's talking about the law, he's talking about those, those books, which are very important. Um, and then the prophets refers to all the books that follow. So it refers to the 15 books of prophecy written by like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos and Zechariah, and I won't try to name all 15 of them, but he refers to those books of prophecy, but also what's called the former prophets, which includes like 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So basically, when you see law and the prophets, that's the entire Old Testament is what the reference is to there. Now, they would not have called it Old Testament because there was no New Testament. They would have simply called it the Scriptures. So the law and the prophets is a reference to the Scripture. What he is thinking, it's saying is, do not think I've come to abolish the Scriptures. So he's referring to what they saw as the, the entire scripture at the time. Do not think I've come to abolish it. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, meaning to complete it. The second phrase is Pharisees and teachers of the law. We're more familiar with these because they make a lot of appearances in the New Testament. But the Pharisees were a sect within Judaism. They were a small sect within Judaism, but they were very influential. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were considered righteous i mean they were the religious leaders of that day within judaism they were the religious leaders that people would often look up to i mean that because they they took the law very very seriously the law and the prophets they considered every single bit of the law and prophets to be authoritative um they also considered their interpretations of the law and the prophets to be equally authoritative that all sound familiar if you grew up in a fundamentalist church but so they you know they said you know they had this is what this is what the bible tells us to do but this is how we do what the bible tells us to do so they had laws on top of laws to make sure that they didn't unintentionally violate one of the existing laws and we'll talk we'll talk about that a little bit Later, And Jesus obviously came in conflict with these guys most of the time because they were so focused on their exacting obedience, their legalistic exacting obedience to the letter of the law, but they failed to recognize the spirit or the heart of the law. And that's where Jesus came in conflict with them. So he, would, he would say, you know, you strain gnats and swallow camels. Like you're so focused on making sure you do it exactly right but your heart's not in the right place, and you're missing the whole purpose and the whole intent of the Scriptures. All right? Third phrase. Now, that phrase, that Pharisees and teacher law, is in verse 20. So he says, your righteousness has to surpass the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Today, we read that and go, well, that's easy. Pharisees were the enemies. At that time, they would read that and say, how in the world could our righteousness possibly surpass Pharisees and teachers of the law? These are the most righteous people. They take the law more seriously than anybody else around us. How could we possibly achieve something like that? The next phrase is a kingdom of heaven. And this one's in verse 20 as well. And this one is a little bit confusing. All right, So um, we, we tend to confuse kingdom of heaven. Matthew's the only guy that says it. Uh, the other gospels call it the kingdom of God. It means the same thing. But when we see kingdom of heaven, we tend to drop kingdom of. And just in our minds, we just hear heaven. So when we read verse 20, what we hear is, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the most righteous people in the world, you won't go to heaven. We drop the kingdom of right there, and we just think about heaven. He is talking about heaven in a sense, but that's not all of it. So the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God simply means the rule or reign of God in our hearts and lives. So there is an eternal reality to that. Heaven is where that completely comes to pass. You know, that God is completely, his rule and reign is in our hearts and lives 
all the time because there's no more fleshly nature or sinful nature. But it's not just heaven. So the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven refers to a present reality and a future reality. It is already and it is not yet. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to paraphrase it a little bit, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, then God can't rule and reign in your hearts and lives. So he's not just talking about heaven. He's not just talking about eternity. He's talking about right now. And then let's talk about the last word, and this one's the most confusing of all. I don't know if it's the most confusing, but this is the one that trips us up more than any of them. Righteousness. Now, before I try to define righteousness, I want you to try to define it. And you know, just in your mind, just think. When you hear that word, righteousness, how do you understand that? Like, what does that mean to you? When you, when you? when you see that word on the screen, you're like, what, what, is, what is righteousness? What do, you, what do you think of? Or... or uh, or maybe who do you think of when you hear the word righteousness? For me, I think of King McCarver. Now, none of you know who that is. Maybe just a handful of you know who that is. If you grew up at Hornwall Church of Christ in the 80s and 90s, you might know who King McCarver is. But King McCarver was the preacher at the church I grew up at for the form, my most formative years of growing up. I think he was there 13 years. Somebody from Hornwall is probably watching online, and they're like, no, you got that wrong. I tried to do research. You need a list of all your preachers on your website. Because I tried. I tried. And I couldn't find. King's like, he's, he's an enigma online. Like, he, that, he's not out there. Um, but he's still preaching somewhere. But hey, I think he was there 13 years. And if my memory serves correct, he was there when I, from the time I was like six years old to when I was 18. So he's the only preacher I really remember growing up was King McCarver. I don't remember the preacher that was there before him because I was too young. And I remember the preacher that was there after him, but I had a foot out the door going to college, so it didn't really matter at that time. So King McCarver to me was righteousness. Like if I, if, if I was to look up the word righteousness, I would put King's picture right there. Because one, the name. I mean, come on, that's a, that is a great preacher name. You got to give him props on that, right? King McCarver, <laughs> brother, brother King McCarver. That's a great name. Uh, but two, he was the preacher. And before I became a preacher, I thought preachers were perfect. You know, I figured it out. I messed the whole thing up. Like once I became a preacher, I was like, okay, that's definitely not true. But, but when, I, when you're a kid, you think that, right? You think the, the guy who stands from the pulpit, we used to call it. Now we call it a platform and it's got music stands. You know, like you remember when it was the monster pulpits? Because that pulpit carried authority. So I thought whoever was preaching, that, they're, the, they're the holiest person in the church. They're the most righteous person in the church. That was, kind of, that was kind of my mindset. So he was a preacher. He was a professional Christian. And then number three, he was super, super smart in the Bible. Like, he knew way, way more Bible. And this is really, this is true. He, he knew, he had way more Bible knowledge than anybody in our church. I mean, he would, people would always say, like, he doesn't need to be a preacher. He needs to be teaching Bible somewhere in college level or something like that. And it was like, he, he, was, he was really, really knowledgeable of the scriptures. And so in my mind, King McCarver's righteousness. And I told you all, I tried to look him up online. He's not on Facebook, he's not on Twitter, he's not on Instagram. I couldn't even find his picture in the bio of wherever the church he's preaching at now. Although I did finally dig this up through Google, so I want to show you who I'm talking about. Uh, King McCarver is the guy on the far left. As you're facing that picture, he's the guy on the far left. Does he, he looks righteous, right? I mean, look at the guy, and he really is a great godly man. The guy beside him doesn't. But um, and I, <laughs> they just caught him at a bad time. I'm like... 
Look at Kima Carver. He's smiling. He's angelic. The guy beside him's like, I'm going to get you for taking this picture. Um, okay, take that down and delete it from online and all that kind of stuff. We'll edit that out. Uh, but I just wanted you to see who I was talking about, Kima Carver. The reason I thought he was righteous, all right, and you probably, there's a, you could fill in the blank with whoever you had, whoever your pastor was, whoever the head elder was at your church, whoever the preacher was, whoever the head deacon was, whoever you thought of when you thought of righteousness, you probably had somebody similar. In our minds, righteousness was simple. Spiritual perfection, biblical knowledge, professional Christian. In other words, something we would never be. It was, if you had all the knowledge, then you were righteous. And if, if you were per- perfect, you were righteous. And that's typically what we've tended to connect to righteousness more than anything else is perfection. Righteousness means perfection. And we would say, there's no way I'm going to be perfect. So if I can't be perfect, then I can't possibly be righteous. And if I can't be righteous, then Jesus just told me that I can't get to heaven. And that's typically the way we interpreted that text. Well, and and that, there's a lot of folks that grew up with that kind of mindset and mentality was if I can't be perfect, then I can't be righteous. And if I can't be righteous, then how am I going to get to heaven? And we responded to it in one of two ways. There was one group of people that said, well, if I can't be perfect, then there's no way I can be perfect. So why try? Like, just forget it. Like, just why try? This is, this is a waste of effort and time on my part. And so those are the folks that just bailed on, on church altogether. Uh, there was another group of people that said, okay, I agree with that group of people. There's no way I can be perfect. But by golly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust my butt trying. Like, I'm going I'm to work absolutely as hard as I can possibly work. And I'm going to, like, I know I can't do it, but I'm, I'm going to figure out some way to squeak my way into heaven. Like, I'm just going to work and work and work. And maybe God shows me a little bit of grace. And I'm, I'm going to follow all the rules. And I'm going to try to do better, and I'm going to try to be better. And, I, you know, that was, and then we tended to fall in, if you think back to the youth groups you had, and I know not all of you didn't grow up in church, so, so forgive me here. I'm, I'm kind of using examples of folks that grew up in church. But, but if you think back to the youth group you had, we usually fell into one of those two groups, like the group of people that was, I'm going to try really, really hard, and then another group of people that said, just forget it. This is not worth it. There's no way. Guess which group I was in. <clears throat> It's pretty obvious, right? I'm a, I'm a preacher. Uh, I became a preacher. I, I, was, the, I was like, I'm going to try super hard. I'm going I'm to follow all the rules I can possibly follow. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard. And, and if I do break a rule, I'm going to keep it secret. You know, I don't want anybody to tarnish you know, the reputation and all that because apparently reputation matters. Too. So anyway, I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to work my way into heaven. That's not what I called it. I just called it being faithful. I just, I, I, I didn't, it was not works based. No, I was just trying to do what Jesus told me to do in verse 20, that your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the most righteous people you know. So unless your righteousness surpasses that of King MacArthur, then you, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going I'm to do my hardest. And there's two big, big problems with that approach. And you already see them. One big problem with that approach is it's not possible. Because the Bible says there's no one who's righteous. So, I mean, we're trying to do something that goes against God's word. So, uh, they're, they're, like, it's, it's not possible to work your way into heaven. It's it, truly, it's impossible. The second big problem, though, is that it puts all the emphasis on attention on me. Because 
salvation or righteousness in this case, righteousness is not determined by what God does. It's determined by what Russ does. It's determined by my ability to correctly and exactly obey the law. As long as I can correctly and exactly obey the law, then I will be righteous. And that, that, you see how that flips it around to where it's not something God has done for me. It's something that I am doing for myself. And then the danger becomes when I actually start to think that I'm succeeding because I start to compare myself to other people and go, hey, you know what? I, I'm more righteous than him, I tell you that. I'm more righteous than her. I mean, look at the way they're living. Goodness, have you looked at their feet, what they're posting on their, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better than that. I mean, our kids are a little bit better than that. You know, and my, I mean, my marriage is in better shape than that. I mean, that, when that comparison game kicks in, then spiritual pride starts to slip in. And then you got to, you know who you start acting like? A Pharisee. Spiritual pride. The Pharisee stood, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, you know, both went and prayed. And, and the tax collector's like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, I, I'm, I'm falling and I need help. And the Pharisee said, thank God I'm not like him. And that's what, that Pharisee mindset characterizes a lot of Christians. And I, I, stand, I stand in front of you as a recovering Pharisee, so I can, I can attest to it. You know, is it, that pride slips in and that self-righteousness slips in. And what Jesus is saying is, your righteousness has to surpass that in order to allow God to rule and reign in your heart. Let me, let me define it this way. Let me find it right here. here we, we got the definition. I never defined it. The definition of righteousness means to do right, especially in regard to obeying the law of God or treating other people right. So it, to, 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 righteousness means to be morally right or justified. But here's the problem. None of us are capable of doing that on our own. No matter how good we are, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how good our grandma thinks we are, we, we are not capable of doing it on our own. And the guy who put it more eloquently than I could possibly put it was himself a recovering Pharisee. And he is the Apostle Paul. And if you read his writings, you'll read the writings of a recovering Pharisee in the truest sense. And he says in one of his bios, you know, when he's kind of given his list of accomplishments, he's like, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I mean, I was, I was the best at this. I was, as far as legalistic righteousness, I was zealous for the faith. I was, you know, I, was, I strictly obeyed the law. I tried to do everything possible. Just like the Pharisees had laws upon laws, Paul's like, I, I had laws upon laws upon laws. You know, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. If the law said rest on the Sabbath, then they would say, well, here's how far you can walk on the Sabbath. And, and, and here's how much you can eat on the Sabbath. And here's how much cooking you can do on the Sabbath. And, you know, here's all the laws that make sure that you're actually, you don't accidentally slip up and disobey one of these laws. So their interpretations became more important than the law itself. Their application and interpretation of the law became more important than the law itself. And for some of you who grew up in some, church, some really strict fundamental churches, that sounds familiar. It's like the, our, our interpretation of the law was higher than the law itself. But here's what Paul says. Flip over, and this is going to tie uh, Matthew chapter 5.20 all together. Flip over to Romans 3. And here's what this former Pharisee said in Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse mm, 
Well, let's start in verse 9. I think I got verse 10 up there, but 9 is kind of interesting. He says, what shall we conclude then? And he's talking to Jewish people who were kind of taking pride in their ability to follow the law and the prophets while these Gentiles were not. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says it to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So, I don't know how we're going to do what Jesus said to do because Paul just said what Jesus said to do is impossible under our old understanding of what Jesus said to do. Paul, he just said it's impossible. There's nobody who's righteous. And he goes through a full list, and it's, it's a very dire list when you read it until you start thinking, man, I just, all you got to do is open up the news, and there's plenty of examples right there of what he's talking about. All you, it's, it's in our culture. You see it all around us. So it's impossible. Like the, the first reading of the Romans is like, it's impossible to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. So group one is right. Give up. You know, what difference does it make? Just give up. Well, no, he, he, keeps, he keeps writing, and there's some really good news in what he writes because Jesus flips everything on its end. Verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has... Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This verse makes all the sense in the world of chapter 5, verse 20 in the Sermon on the Mount. Once you understand that verse, it's like, okay, now I got the context. Now I understand. He says, this righteousness, look at verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. We need to define one more word real quick. The word justified. You know what it means, literally? To be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. Let me reread verse 24. Oh, verse 23. You know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just. And the one who justifies those, the one who declares righteous those who have faith in Jesus. Now I don't have these next two verses on here, but I was reading them right before I got up here, and I should have added them. I'll add them for the second service. I don't have them on the screen. Where then is the boasting? 
it is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. Faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We maintain that a person is declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, I know that's a, there's a, goodness, that's like a seven-week series. We could unpack in everything that Paul says right there. But here's the main point I want you to hear. There's only one who is righteous, and it is God. And we are incapable of righteousness. We are incapable of doing what is morally right with, without God. So what God did was take the righteousness of Jesus. We are condemned because of our sin. And what God did was cancel the debt of our sin and take the righteousness of Jesus and transfer his righteousness to us so that we are declared righteous not because we exactly obeyed the law, not because we perfectly understood the scriptures, not because we perfectly interpreted the scriptures, not because we crossed every T and dotted every I. We are declared righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is the basis of our righteousness. It's not what we have done. It is what Jesus has done. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul talks about this all the time. You want to know why he talks about this all the time? Because he discovered an incredible freedom and relief as a former Pharisee to figure out it's not up to me. And it's not about me. It's up to Jesus. And it's about Jesus. This is my favorite one right here. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, there it is. We might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness comes through Jesus, period. That, and there's, there's two ways we respond to that. The first response to that ought to be a deep sigh of relief. Like, okay, I, okay, righteousness, I, it, it comes, I can accept the grace that's been given to me through Jesus, and that's where my righteousness comes from. But we don't mistake it then for like, oh, well, that means I just, you know, just forget it. I, I, you know, I just sit back and enjoy the righteousness of Jesus. I don't have to do anything. There's no calling or no requirement on my life to live in a certain way. Well, no, if you finish what Paul says in Romans, he says, no, grace doesn't lower a standard for us. Grace actually raises a standard. Because you've been given this great gift of righteousness from Jesus, it actually changes the way you then live in response. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to tell us what that looks like when we don't try to obey the letter of the law. You've heard it said, do not murder. But come on, I tell you, don't even get angry at your brother in your heart. Get rid of that anger and bitterness in your heart. You heard, do not commit adultery. But I, man, I tell you, don't even lust in your heart. You know, I, that's, Jesus is going to start talking about the spirit and the heart of the law. And so here's the way that you need to understand uh, chapter 5, verse 20. Un unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were trying to attain it on their own through their own obedience. And he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that understanding, then God will never rule and reign in your heart. He can't. He can't because you're still in the way. But... When your righteousness surpasses that understanding, what Paul talks about in Romans 3 and in 2 Corinthians 5, when, you, when, you, when your righteousness surpasses that way of thinking and says, my righteousness comes from Christ alone, period, 
then you're able to allow God to rule and reign in your heart. And then your life starts to produce fruit consistent with God's rule and reign in your heart. And that's where we'll go next. Let me pray for us. Father, the, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, such just a, a powerful teaching, but it's, it's not so much because it's inspiring, it's because it's challenging. And we read a verse like this, and, and we think we know what it means, and we start digging just a little bit deeper, and we realize that you're calling us to set aside our self-righteousness. You're calling us to set aside our own failed attempts at being perfect, our own failed attempts at, um, at doing everything right, and to just simply surrender and accept who you are. And accept the free gift of salvation that's been given to us through your son Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And so, Father, I pray for those that are in this room that haven't accepted that yet. That, that are still fighting to do it all on their own. They're still trying to, they're still trying to be the good person. And, and, and thinking if they just do enough good, then maybe they'll slip their way into heaven. I, I pray for those that are still trying to do that to just help them to rest in your grace. And help them to accept um, the gift that you have given them through, through your son Jesus. And Father, I pray for those that have accepted it. That those who would amen everything that we've read and said this morning. Help us to live in a way that, that glorifies you. Because you are ruling and reigning in our hearts and our lives. And so that our life then produces the fruit of that rule and reign in our life. And I know the flesh is always battling for control. And it will always battle for control until the end. But help us to, to continue to yield to your spirit. And not yield to our flesh. And I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this. But I'm going to mention it one more time. Because we got... Well, we ended up having three of them today, but I had baptism yesterday. We got two baptisms after the 11 o'clock today. Uh, that means the baptistry's warm, <laughs> okay? And uh, most of you live fairly close here. You can go home with wet clothes if you need to. It's really not that big a deal. Or if you want to, you can go home and get some clothes and come right back here, and uh, we're going to be here till about, well, I'll be here till about 1.30 or 2 today because we got step one today. But if you've never surrendered to, to Jesus through baptism, th this might be the day to do it. There's, Katie's going to do it here in, in about an hour, and uh, Angel's going to do it here in about an hour, and Mandy did it uh, yesterday at 1 o'clock, and uh, I mean, this just might be the time to do it. And so you go, go grab your clothes, come right back, we'll, we'll have baptism, it's ready to go. It's, it was at 105. I actually had to turn it down this morning, because 105 is like a hot tub. <laughs> so I got, it, I got it cranked back down here, but um, we can make it happen today, or if it's something you want to talk to somebody about, like, I'm interested, but I just still got a few more questions, then mark it on that card. Just get, fill out a second card if you've already filled out one and submitted it. Just mark it on that card, drop it in the box, or, or hit submit, and myself or Ebony or Tim or somebody will follow up with you. Uh, today is also step one, so we're having the luncheon. at. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.